Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I feel like it's been a minute since I started a show with a full-on family life rant. But damn it, you're getting one today, so buckle up. It's family life rant day on Fantasy NBA Today. By the way, hello everyone. Happy Thursday to you all. December the 15th. We are almost halfway through the month. The NBA season continues to rumble along. It's all quite crazy. 35-ish percent of the way through the NBA season. Coming off a nice big Wednesday. I should have all these things that I can rant to you about, but instead today, it's Family Life Rant Day on the show. Because, I mean, it's all, it's, it's, uh, it's hitting the fan over here in Casa Bespris. <laughs> uh, if you guys don't want to listen to this, I totally understand. You can fast forward like three minutes, but it's just been it's just been a totally silly week. Like none of these things feel like they needed to happen. Uh, but when you roll them all together, you just end up with a day where everybody is completely exhausted and nobody's doing the things they're supposed to be doing on time. Weirdly, the old child, the six-year-old, who's normally the one that's the hardest to get to do anything, was, uh, he's fine. But I'm still getting over the kid cold, and you guys all know, longtime listeners of the podcast, you guys know I suffer from irritable bowel, IBS, and that's been kicking in. And then the dog was, like, up and sick to her stomach halfway through the night. That was, like, from four in the morning to God knows what hour. And the little dude has an ear infection. We talked about that yesterday. There's, Oh, my goodness. Our pets' heads are falling off. All that to say, uh, I have almost no time at all today because there's also a party at the little one's preschool because it's the last day before winter break. And uh, I got no nanny help today. And my backup, which is technically a grandma, is like the presents that she had delivered from Amazon were delivered... And they got soaked in the rain. So she's doing all of the shopping. I got nothing. I got nothing. I got a, I don't even have a second car seat. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Uh, okay. Well, you know what? Let's just talk about some fantasy basketball. Hi, everybody. Welcome again into the program. I'm Dan Bespris. You got a family rant. It's been a while. It's been a while since we uh, chalked up one of those. It was a weird Wednesday yesterday, actually. And, you know, when you kind of dig into the nuts and bolts of it, you had uh, almost all of the biggest stories from yesterday were short-term injury-related. And then the medium stories were also sort of injury-related. And, like, the only non-injury stories from yesterday came out of probably Detroit and Los Angeles. And then you had all these games where it was like little things here and there. So, for instance, let's just start with Orlando-Atlanta. First of all, Atlanta's, I don't know what the hell's going on with the Hawks right now. I know they're down DeJounte Murray and they've turned into a total pumpkin without him. Uh, but they have enough pieces here to get this thing done. Clint Capella left with a uh, with calf tightness late in the ballgame. It was probably so late that it wouldn't have really mattered had he tried to play through it. I think it was like early in the fourth quarter or something like that. Um uh, so he might miss a ball game. 
But now we basically just have to watch the injury report. So that's going to be the story on a lot of these games. Watch the injury report on Clint Capella. If we find out that he stays in the doubtful to questionable range, then obviously you pick up Onyeka Okongwu, who was very good yesterday while getting a little bit of bonus run. Am I picking up DeAndre Hunter off a big ball game? I'm probably not. I know that like without DeJounte Murray around, there's an avenue for him. But he's not going to get 10 free throws every ball game. He's probably not going to get 14 shots every ball game. It was just like a lot of things worked in the right direction for Hunter. And even still, it was only kind of a pretty good line. A.J. Griffin's a no. Bogdan Bogdanovich is a yes. And that's where I'm at with pretty much everyone on Atlanta. And a few of these teams, it, it almost makes sense for me to just sort of list where I stand with the players individually. For instance, Orlando. Cole Anthony, I still can't bring myself to trust him on a game-to-game basis. And kind of the same story for Markel Fultz, even though he was the one now who had the big ball game here. And those two guys have been trading off. It's amazing what recency bias will do to fantasy players. And I get it. Fultz having a big ball game, it gives everybody this moment of like, oh, is this the one where it kicks in? Maybe. The answer to that question is almost always maybe. 16, 7, and 9, 4 steals and a block. He was fantastic. Oddly enough, he was a plus-minus of 0 in this game, a game his team won by 11. But, you know, numbers are numbers. If he plays well, he plays 30 minutes, maybe things will go his way. If he plays more poorly, Cole Anthony gets an extra 6 or 7 minutes, and we've seen this thing kind of kicking back and forth a little bit. So, yeah, I'm in the same boat I was with Fultz prior to this game. I have maybe a little bit more confidence after a good ball game, but at the same time, we saw, what, three bad ones in a row prior to the good one, in between good ones for him? So I still think he's worth holding on to, so maybe I should like really pare it down to that. I think if you were holding him before, which a lot of us were, you continue to do so. I find him very hard to start on a Roto Games cap side because you don't know when this game is going to come versus the bad ones. Head-to-head, you probably just roll with the good and the bad and hope that this thing works itself out over the next two to three weeks. Bull Bull, I called him a buy low on yesterday's podcast because it felt like every analyst was talking about how he was falling off a cliff. I thought, I don't know, maybe not a cliff. Maybe more of like a shallow decline? He was just sort of rolling downhill a little bit. We talked about how the rigors of big minutes were catching up to him a tad. But the beauty of that side of it is that guys pull out of that stuff. They get tired, and then they find that extra gear. Rookies, he's not a rookie, but rookies hit a rookie wall, and then they come out the other side at some point. So for Bull, even though he was still like right around 60, 65-ish prior to yesterday's ballgame, He was being treated like a top 100 kind of guy in the marketplace. There was a lot of, like, panic selling. And I still think that if you can sell him for a top 75 guy, it's not a terrible thing to do. At the same time, if you could buy him for someone, well, now you probably can't anymore, but between 75 and 100, which is what we were talking about on yesterday's podcast, that's probably the move there. Anyway, that's probably cooked because he had a better ballgame again. Minutes are going to be a tiny bit lower for him. He's not going to play 35 minutes because I I just don't think his body can handle it long term. Meanwhile, Mo Wagner has jumped right over Mo Bamba, the Battle of the Moes. Wagner still out in front. He is, and I'm going to use the right terminology here, the one we're going to we're going to really push hard into the lexicon. 
he is your opportunity play as long as Wendell Carter Jr. remains out. Wagner is any of the Wagners. Play them all. Indiana Golden State was a game that was generally without fantasy implications until Steph Curry injured his shoulder late while going, well, Steph Curry level nuclear again. Uh, pushed himself back up into the number two spot, by the way, with yesterday's massive performance, and that's without getting to play most of the fourth quarter. Hurt his shoulder. Uh, expectation is that he will miss a couple of ball games. It's hard to know exactly what this is going to mean for the Warriors. Klay Thompson will be back for the next one. He was resting in this ball game. Andrew Wiggins is probably a game or two out. In the immediate term, Jordan Poole is going to take about 25 shots a game, and he is a very easy play right now. Also in the very immediate term, Dante DiVincenzo has been playing really well, and he figures to see starters-level minutes at least as long as both Steph and Wiggins are out. When one of those guys comes back, and it seems like it'll probably be Wiggins first, it's not entirely clear how the Warriors play from that point. I don't think Ty Jerome's going to pick up giant minutes, even though he really kind of is the backup point guard on that team. I don't think that's going to happen. My best guess, and honestly, we probably just need a data point, is if, again, if both of those guys are out, you can stream DiVincenzo as an opportunity play. When Wiggins comes back, I think I would just watch for a game and then see if there's anything obvious that you could roll. If that setup continues, where Wiggins is in and Steph is still out. No, I don't care about Benedict Matherin's nice ball game. He's a good young ball player. That part is fun. But fantasy-wise, typically he's not going to shoot this well. Typically he's not going to get six rebounds, three assists, and a steal. We've seen enough to know that you know this is a game where he went on a, a super heater he was a ridiculous plus 34 in a game his team won by six. And he just became a better version of Buddy Heald in this ballgame. And you're going to see, I think a lot of people say that now Benedict Matherin has jumped over Buddy Heald. I don't think that's the case. I mean, this is Rick Carlisle. He's going he's gonna to yank guys around, and Heald still got his 34 minutes. But, you know, uh, Aaron Neesmith was the guy who generally lost out in minutes played in this game. Andrew Nemhard, he's still right in between that hold and drop zone. He's in the he's kind of like hovering in the orange right now, where, you know, he got into the red and then he had a good ball game that bumped him back into the yellow, and now he's back into the orange again. I think you hang on a little bit here, because the minutes are there, but he's just like I just I need him to be a tiny bit more involved. Six shots isn't enough. If you're going to play 31 minutes, I need you taking nine shots. Give me nine, and that's probably enough for him. Detroit. So, let's start with the Marvin Bagley stuff. He he had knee soreness, and he left this ballgame uh, without really playing in the second half, effectively. He got his first half 10 minutes, and uh, Jalen Duran got like 14, I think-ish, first half minutes. And Duran got 17 or 18 second half minutes and then played in overtime. So, yes, the Bagley exit did help Duran, but he was at 13 rebounds and he was probably going to be at least at that point, regardless of the Bagley situation. Now, Bagley being out meant that Duran and Isaiah Stewart got a bunch of extra run. They are both firm starts for Detroit without any hesitation. And I was starting Duran anyway. I mean, we talked about him. Last week when he got bumped into the starting five, there was actually a lot of pushback. People were like, but he's, he's a punt free throw guy. And I said, you know, honestly, I don't know because you look at 
Like, he was at 49%, and that does... I mean, that's a punt-free-throw number, no question. But again, if you look back at what he did at the collegiate level, uh, he was in the 60s. So there was reason for some optimism there. And if he can get himself into the 60s and he's only taken, like, two or three a ball game, then he's not really going to break you. And if he's out there, you know, he had a little... Moses Malone type deal going on early in this game where he got like four offensive rebounds off his own misses. Uh, he's not going to shoot two for eight most ball games. Don't worry about that. Field goal percent is not going to be a problem for Jalen Duran because almost all of his attempts are coming like with his hand literally above the the hoop. This hand ball hoop. They're all like sandwiched against one another. Three blocks. Love that. 19 rebounds. Love that. Killing it, Hayes, 25-7-8. and eight. He had that game where the three-point stroke came around. That seems to happen to him about once every three weeks or so. Uh, by request on Twitter, I'm no longer going to include him on the opportunities board because Cade is now out for the season. So Killian Hayes is just a uh, rest-of-season kind of low-end point guard play, you know, like top 100 range. Good. That'll do. Alec Burks got hot. He's been more of a schedule stream type of play. I don't trust him on a game-to-game on the Roto side, but, you know, if you find me a schedule point, and I don't need to do it right now because, you know, screw it. It's not happening today. Uh, If you find me a scheduling spot where Detroit goes, like, three games in four nights, I think that's a spot where I would pretty strongly consider Alec Burks. And then Jaden Ivey, you're just kind of squatting on it until the rookie stuff goes away, hopefully later in the year, because... The avenue's pretty open for him as well. Charlotte, good news over there. LaMelo Ball made his return, played 34 minutes and fouled out, but had 23 points, 11 assists, five three-pointers. They are very happy to have him back. They still lost because, you know, they still kind of stink. Terry Rozier took 28 shots to get to 25 points. Come on, Terry. Make a freaking bucket. Jalen McDaniels shot 7 of 9 from the floor and 4 for 4 at the free throw line, so he's going to get added in a bunch of spots, and then he's going to have a bad one, and he's going to get dropped. He's fine. He's more of a schedule stream type guy for now. And then I got a lot of Mason Plumley questions, and, you know, honestly, they're good questions. He's an awful foul shooter. I don't know if you guys have had the distinct pleasure of watching him shoot free throws, but it is atrocious. You know, sometimes, like with Jalen Duran, his free throw stroke actually isn't that bad. Yeah, it's translating poorly so far this year, but he kind of like it looks like he knows what he's doing at the foul line. Mason Plumley, it looks like someone gave a basketball to a space alien and was like, "How do you think you should throw this at the hoop and put him at the foul line?" And the alien was like leaning real far forward and just sort of like flicking it haphazardly. That's Mason Plumley's foul stroke. So it's never coming back. It's going to be gross the whole way through. He's not a big defensive stats center. But with LaMelo Ball around, he actually figures to see a boost, I would think, in maybe just energy. You know, rebounding, they'll play faster, so that's good for him. He'll probably have another attempt or two around the bucket. You might even see his assists trend back up a tiny bit. The thing with Plumlee, as is always the thing with Plumlee, is that he goes on two-week stretches where he's a top 90 guy, and then he goes on two-week stretches where he's a top 200 guy. So you have to catch it at the right time. If you're going to take that plunge, I personally am not, but I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to yell at you if you did it. (laughs) 
Sacramento beat Toronto, hanging on by a thread. Darren Fox, a little bit of a bounce-back game. He had good numbers, but the percentages were a little meh. So, oddly enough, it actually didn't change his overall rank. In fact, he went from 38 to 39, uh, even though the scoring, rebounding, and assists all went the right direction. Same with three-pointers, but the field goal and free-throw number, those do continue to fall down to where we knew he would be. Uh, and that's why he's settling back towards a 60 valuation overall. Terrence Davis got the start for Kevin Herter, and, you know, he was fine. He had 19 points in 25 minutes. Um, but, you know, that that's basically a timeshare at that spot when Herter's not around. Malik Monk saw the bulk of the bump with no Herter around. Good thing to remember. Keegan Murray... Still slowly trending in the right direction, but probably still a month and a half away from being the guy that anybody that drafted him wants him to be in a nice 2020 game for Demonis Sabonis. No real valuation changes there. If Herter misses another one, and he was a game-time decision here, so my guess is he'll probably be back, but if he misses another one, uh, just feel better about the Malik Monk play you were probably already making anyway. For Toronto, the mixing and matching continues, and none of the mixings are matching. Raptors in a skid, but at least Freddie Van Fleet looked really good. 39 points, shot the ball well, didn't take as many threes in this one. So maybe that's part of the attack method here. 11 for 11 at the free throw line. Van Fleet jumping up the board. He's up to number 36 now. He was down near 50 before this ball game. I mean, this one moved him a long way in the right direction. I can dig it. His buy low window is not so big anymore. Scotty Barnes had a good ball game too. Someone was like, hey, should I sell high? I'm like, yeah, good luck with that. He had one good ball game. You're not going to be able to sell high after one. If you have Scotty, just hang on and hope he can put a few together. If you don't, it just got a tiny bit harder if you were going to buy on him, which you could have done because he was like, what was it, 125 prior to that game? Gary Trent. You know, he'll be fine. He's in and out. It's frustrating. Yeah, no doubt. It's been a frustrating year for Trent. He's in the 112 range, but that's a guy you hang on to in 9-cat because, you know, one, two good games, and he's top 75. And we know he's got it in him. And then Thad Young got the start, so the Raptors just keep moving bodies around. Not a good matchup for Thad, trying to deal with Simonis Sabonis. He got worked over. If he starts again, I would probably consider streaming, um, but I don't think that it's a guarantee he starts their next ball game. It really seems like they're kind of reaching. I didn't think OG Ananobi was going to make that big of a difference. Oh, I mean, they were kind of skidding without him. Knicks beat the Bulls in overtime. Another overtime game. We had all these extra bonus basketball days, uh, and it didn't mean a ton fantasy-wise. Emmanuel quickly got extra run because R.J. Barrett fouled out. I mean, we can all just sit here and keep praying that quickly is going to get to play a little bit more. Uh, but he just sort of doesn't. R.J. Barrett was a minus four, quickly was a plus six, blah, blah, blah. You know, doesn't really mean all that much. Uh, Isaiah Hartenstein, you can officially just stop worrying about it at this point. Quentin Grimes continues to nuzzle up against fantasy value. We'll just go ahead and put him comfortably in the schedule stream bucket for now. And that's your update on the Knicks. I was watching the Bulls side to see if Alex Caruso could carve himself out like a, just a full-on steals-only specialist role. And it's possible. It's possible that he does. It's a really hard sell to make on the head-to-head -head side. 
But think of it this way, this way. Like if Caruso averages between two and three steals in every ball game as a starter, which is like it's far fetched, but it's not insane. Because in 25 and a half minutes this year, he's at about a steal and a half. So if you crank that up into the into the low 30s and you add what's effectively 20 to 30 percent more, you're basically getting him to two steals and one block per game. Pretty much anyone averaging three defensive stats ends up as a top 100 fantasy play. He kind of doesn't have to do anything else beyond that. But at the same time, I get it. If you're in a head-to-head side and you're and Caruso's got a three-game week and you're like, okay, well, this is six steals and three blocks, uh, but 12.6 rebounds and 10 assists. That's basically nothing in the other categories. That's a really tough sell on the head-to-head side. So I'm on the fence. We can watch list him for now. I don't think anybody's making a, a strong move towards Caruso in your league, so you probably don't have to worry about acting quickly here. But just keep it on your radar. You know, that like, people are weird about defensive. They say, oh, well, he's just a steals specialist. Yeah, but, like, what if you had a player out there that, you know, league average number of steals is about one? It's about one-ish, give or take. I think this year it might even be just the tiniest bit under one, like .97 steals per game played, if you're thinking about it from a Roto standpoint. So think of it this way. If Caruso averages like 2.1 steals per game, and the average is just under one, he's at about 210% of the league average mark. What if you applied that to other categories? You know, league average number of assists per ball game is, I don't know, three and some odd. So what if you had somebody on the wire that was giving you seven assists? Wouldn't that make you take a second look at them? Or, I don't know, uh, like 10 rebounds? More, actually. More like 11 rebounds? Yeah, you'd take a look at that player. Points is the one where it really jumps out. League average scoring this year is like 15. So if someone walked up to you and was like, hey, I can give you a player who scores 30 points a game and does literally nothing else, you'd probably be like, yeah, you know what, I am interested. That's kind of what that is. And yet, for some reason, because the numbers are so small, the difference between one and two, it feels almost negligible, but it's not. It's quite large, actually. It's the same, again, as the difference in these other categories when you think about it just from like a valuation standpoint. So don't write them off just because it's a low... You know, it's like how much a a goal in soccer is worth. Football. Or a run in baseball. Low-scoring game. Less so. Baseball's not a perfect example. That's like more assists or three-pointers, I guess, the score. Uh, it's really like a goal. Two goals is actually a lot more than one. And that's kind of what you're dealing with on the defensive side. Miami, hanging on. Beat Oklahoma City. They didn't hang on. They actually came back and beat them. Um, not going to... Well, you know what? There are a couple of points I wanted to make on this ball game. he said as he planned on going through the card relatively quickly today. No Jimmy Butler on the front end of the back-to-back. It sounds like Victor Oladipo is going to rest the back end of it. Lowry might also rest the back end of it. Adebayo might also rest the back end of it. We'll see on all of that stuff today. So you'll you know you'll have to stay glued to Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter for your basketball news. But in the meantime, 
Now that Oladipo is actually kind of in the mix, and he very much was in this ballgame, he was probably the Heat's most important player in this game. 12 points, 4 boards, 3 assists, 3 steals, couple of 3 balls, shot the ball well, plus 18 in a game they won by 2. Again, I know that doesn't mean everything, but it does mean something. It doesn't mean nothing either. He was important, and he rendered Max Struess useless. So write him off. You can move on from Struess. And again, I know Oladipo's not going to play in every ballgame, but if he starts seeing starters-level minutes, if he kind of becomes the sixth man for this team, then he also becomes the guy who gets good when one player is out. Because Caleb Martin, who didn't really get to do anything, has proven himself to be not quite relevant enough on the fantasy side. And Struess could, for some stretches, get it done with three points only. But Oladipo is the only guy in that group that both is willing to attack, like go take shots, but can also do some other stuff. Now, I'll admit, I'm basically the last person to even consider an Oladipo move. It's taking a lot to make me think about adding him. But what I saw last night made me think about adding him. And he's going to be available in almost every single fantasy league. But that was pretty crazy. 31 minutes, to me, came out of nowhere. He was 19, 21, 23, 19. I know he's not the same Victor Oladipo he used to be. There's, like, look, I mean, he's he's far removed from that. But think about, like, think about, uh... Well, Oladipo's on three different teams. The, the, uh... Not the bubble year, but the, the shortened season... Because the bubble year, he still was more of a feature player. Uh, The shortened season, in Miami, he managed to squeeze in four games at the end of the year. 12 points, 3.5 boards, 3.5 assists, 1.8 steals, and a half a block. If that's what he got up to, that would be worthwhile. I'm not saying he will, but I am saying that this is now officially something to keep your eye on. I probably didn't stress it enough, actually, in my... On Twitter. On the Oklahoma City side, Jalen Williams does actually look like someone you can. Oh, God. The Oklahoma City roulette wheel is just such a stress ball. I'm probably leaving this alone. Again, if you want to know what I am personally doing, I don't think I'm dealing with OKC. I don't feel that bad if I miss out on Jalen Williams being like a top 90 guy while Jeremiah Robinson Earl is on the shelf. But it does look like his minutes are a little bit more secure while Robinson Earl is on the shelf. I'll just leave it at that. And he plays every ballgame. So like the Oladipo one, you know he's resting back-to-backs. You know there's a lot of eh in there when the Heat are fully healthy. And why am I talking more about Oladipo? Well, because I'm a Roto Games Cap guy at heart. And if you catch him on a back-to-back or whatever, and or if he plays his way into a more significant role, that to me is more interesting. But uh, certainly for head-to-head players listening to the pod, Williams is the better play between those two guys if you were just kind of going head-to-head. Portland beat up on San Antonio. Dame just rocket-boosting up the board these days. I guess his calf is okay, ladies and gentlemen. Dame is up to number 15 now. Just storming. He's been huge. Simons was pretty good in this ballgame. He's uh, trying to withstand some of the droppage. He's down to number 41. Jeremy Grant only down to number 51. So those guys have only dropped a little bit since Dame is back, but you can see that the mega boost games are just sort of not there. 
I still think they might might even be better buy opportunity guys, just in case folks are panicking at this point. You kind of flip the other way. Keldon Johnson finally hit more than half of his shots from the field, and then he went and hit four out of eight at the free throw line. Charles Bassey was a very popular, myself included, opportunity play with Zach Collins out. He was in big-time foul trouble and then just didn't really get to play late in the blowout. This what this did end up being a blowout late. Shame of it all is that if you can get Bassey up to about 24 minutes, which I think is probably where he was headed, he's a monster fantasy producer. As it stands, it could have gone worse. You know, he still got his two blocks. It wasn't a total disaster. But uh, if Collins is out, give Bassey another shot. He'll be better than this. I feel pretty confident in that. Cleveland beat Dallas. Not a whole lot to take away from this ballgame. Cleveland looks good again. I'm not adding Lamar Stevens despite a nice double-double. On the Dallas side, everybody... Uh, pretty much stunk. They scored 90 points. Christian Wood was okay. Luca, he had 30, but by his standards, he was only kind of okay. Tim Hardaway Jr. was a mess, but you're holding on there because he'd been really good prior to this disaster of a ball game, and you can just kind of keep shuffling along there. Denver, didn't this kind of feel like a game where Nikola Jokic was just sort of toying with teams? Ridiculous line for the Joker. 43-14-8 on 17 out of 20 shooting. That's crazy. Five steals. The eight turnovers were a little bit of an annoyance, but who cares? Uh, Bruce Brown is a little bit better, but meh. KCP's been a little better lately, but also meh. Those guys, to me, fall more into the schedule stream department. Same deal deal with Bones, who was also better in this one. Uh, Aaron Gordon much prefers to play when he has guys around him that can give him good looks. His field goal percent on the year, by the way, is up to 61 now. That's crazy. So he is startable. Much as I... kind of hurts me to admit it, Aaron Gordon is is very much a startable fantasy asset. And so is Jamal Murray. Everybody's entitled to a bad game every now and again. On the Washington side, Kristaps Porzingis sat this one out. I know Taj Gibson got the start for shrugs shoulders reason. But uh, he fouled out because Taj Gibson is 85 years old. Daniel Gafford, 26 minutes off the bench. He's your start among those big men. Gafford in mid-20 minutes or higher is a beast. Denny Avdia, great stream while Bradley Beal is out. Monte Morris, actually not a bad stream while Beal is out. He has almost no choice but to be a little bit more aggressive, and that's what we've needed for years out of Monte Morris. Jordan Goodwin, not as good of a stream with Morris back. And Will Barton is on one of his weird little Will Barton runs, but I am not bothering with it because we know how it ends, and it ends poorly. There was a report somewhere this morning, I can't figure out where the hell I saw it, that suggested that maybe Beal was not coming back on Friday. The initial hope, certainly, was that he was going to be back by the end of this week, We'll see. I don't think I would make any pre-drops with Washington is kind of where I would sit with that. So, like, if you're on Monte Morris, just sit on him. If you're on Avdia, just sit on him a little bit longer. Same deal for Gafford because we don't know exactly when KP is coming back. Uh, and just kind of play that one by ear on the, the injury news front. And finally, one of the other interesting stories, Nick Batum. Another really good ball game. 31 minutes off the bench, a team best plus 30 in this game. That's crazy. They won by 11. They were minus 19 in the minutes that Nick Batum was not on the floor. 
Also, on top of all this other stuff, Ivica Zubats left this game early with knee discomfort. He had a sore knee. So Batum oftentimes slides into that small ball five spot. And they, honestly, they had no problem just stretching Rudy Gobert out on the other side. That's what they've done. I mean, they've, the Clippers have done this to Gobert in a different jersey before. Kawhi was decent, didn't shoot the ball all that well in this one, but, you know, he, to me, just he looks a little bit better every ball game. He got three defensive stats in this one, so that's finally starting to show up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the Kawhi experience is uh, not super stressful over the last week. We'll take it. But as far as Batum goes, you know, I... We did this dance last year. Folks that listened to this podcast last season, you guys know that for multiple weeks, I was like, we were watching Batum. Is it time? Is it time? Is it time? And every time we picked him up, he immediately got hurt. And they had to sort of artificially ratchet his minutes back down to about 21 or 22. He's up in the 30s right now. If Batum is playing 30-plus minutes, he's a top 80 fantasy player. That's just how it is. He gets steals, blocks, rebounds, assists, threes, good percentages. He doesn't score much. His turnovers are good. Basically, the only thing he doesn't do is score. But if he scores a little bit, like yesterday, 13, or you know, he's averaging about 10 points over the last week, that's enough. Three assists, that'll get, I mean, he did two yesterday, but he'll average about three. He'll get you a steal, get you a block. He'll shoot 50%. He's a roto darling. I just know the second we make a move on him, he's going to get hurt. But you know what? Screw it. For now, add him. See if we can juice a couple of ball games out of Nick Batum before he falls apart again. Also, by the way, worth noting, uh, a potential Norman Powell return, whenever that might be, that could also mess with this Batum stuff. But right now, especially if Zubats misses a ball game, Marcus Morris slides up. He could play small ball five. Batum can play small ball five, but either way, it allows way more playing time for Nick Batum. He's been really good. He's a top 60 play over the last week. Go figure. Minnesota side, uh, I mean, I don't know. Kyle Anderson, 13-6-5. He continues to be a perfectly reasonable cat fill-in, but they were bad. They scored 88 points in this ballgame, so nobody really did anything uh, but no changes for me on the Wolves' side. That's probably the simplest way to put it, coming out of that rather ugly defeat. And because I am so ever-loving busy today, we are going promo-free on this Thursday edition of the podcast. No live show today with Brewski, I'm afraid. He had foot surgery on Tuesday. I don't know if you guys knew that. Brewski had foot surgery. So find Aaron on Twitter, at Aaron Brewski. Uh, wish him well. Wish him a quick recovery. And we'll get together and get a live show going as soon as he is back up and on his feet. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Once again, I am Dan Bespris at Dan Bespris on Twitter. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Zooming out of the show today to get back to my total goat mess of a day. Wish me luck, too, damn it. Ah, well. All right, we'll try to get some stuff done on Twitter today. It won't be as much as usual, but obviously, thank you all. Thank you all for listening, and thank you all for helping continue to spread the word about both this podcast and sports ethos in general. Have a great Thursday. couple extra games today. Hey, not a total dead one. All right, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Big Friday weekend review show. Love those Friday shows. Lots of good Twitter content on Fridays, too. All right, see you later, everybody. 